Good morning. Um, I'm mainly going to talk about something that the Dalai Lama is uh, doing or has spent a couple days on, the three principal aspects of the path by uh, Lama Yesongkapa, or also sometimes called uh, Ye, Ye Rinpoche. Ye Rinpoche. Uh, he's... Um, Yoga Karan, a Madhyamakan, technically. Um, I mentioned before my my love of the Lamrim, and that's where Sankapa comes in. Lamrim, again, just means the stages of the path. The Lama Chenmo is his great uh, treatise in Tibetan, been translated for a long time, but what it is, is a distillation of the Buddhist path itself. Um, and then Atisha did a, a piece, I mean, it's, it's 40, 50 stanzas, a little bit longer to go into, but essentially says the exact same thing as the three principal aspects of the path by Yeson Kappa. I'm going to talk about it because it's perfect. And why I mention it is, as I said, I've gotten involved in Buddhist, um, social media to try to figure out what others need for this Buddhist path. I've found it works for me for focus for a severe learning disability called dyslexia. It's allowed me to overcome a lot of my disability when it comes to reading. Uh, comprehension uh, is mostly uh, expression and numbers and letters tend to blend together. Uh, I recognize words by sight so that can kind of throw me for context. Um, focus has been a big part of that. Mindfulness and meditation and breathing has allowed me to manage chronic pain uh, and now, to, to a certain extent, chronic fatigue. Um, so, as one gentleman who joined mentioned, he fell in love with, with meditation so much he wants to learn how to teach it so he can share with others. Now, I'm a little bit different. I've been doing it for over over 30 years now. This Buddhist thing. And yes, I do adore it. But it hasn't been until I've been able to heal myself and see that this potential, but more so still, is a lack of sufficiency in all of these teachings. In Not all of them, obviously, but many of these teachings. And what I'm getting at here is, I've talked about this before. So say a group mentions... One individual is problematic. I'm give the example is Daniel Ingram. They said problematic because of his misunderstandings, and they misunderstood what he maybe is either explaining in his own way to get a rise in people, or they're just misunderstanding. Because I have my own perception that you know it's meant to uh, awaken people's interest and and maybe even insight. But if Daniel Ingram was problematic, I understand, but I mentioned um, his beneficial work when it comes to psychedelics. Whether you agree with psychedelics or not, they're exploding, and people need to understand that they're not a replacement for meditation. They can give insights, but they also can cause some harm if not used properly. But more importantly... Uh, Daniel Ingram wants to educate medicine 
on psychedelics so they can inform themselves both on psychedelic states but also people who are in advanced meditative states because again there's a belief if you don't believe there can be harm from psychedelics then explain to me why uh, it's a strongly held view that uh, higher states of meditation if abused or misused can cause these same sorts of um, trouble But as I said, if Daniel Ingram's problematic, so is uh, Kula Dasa, the, the guy that wrote The Mind Illuminated. He spent 20 years lying to himself and others about his relationship. And in the end, he just won't simply say, yeah, you're right, that was pretty silly. Right? And it was funny, too, because <laughs> if you go back through the book, you can hear him talk about, like, if this was this excellent teacher who understands this so well how are they spending the entire book trying to manage the somatic experience the body just the first jhana there's some mentions of some of the higher jhanas but he's not wrong you can experience some of these uh temporary states the jhanas um not in this uh you know progressive you know first this then that first this then that doesn't always happen that way. But when, at first, I'm like, why is he so obsessed with breathing? Well, now that it's come out, it's pretty obvious he's never even managed his somatic experience because, I mean, who cats around at, at his age and has this open relationship and then lies about it? And, and then at the end of it, when all of this was set up for his uh, retirement, his future, and he's having health, health issues, he won't just come out and say, oh my, I'm so sorry, but, you know, please continue to support me. No, he's running around, going, oh my God, they're out to get me. Come on, manage that self. And that would be a big criticism on Daniel Ingram as well, right? Or, as I've said before, it's the greatest hindrance and our greatest tool, that self. But then, as I've mentioned before, uh, we were talking about creating a starter kit or uh, an intro, and a couple of different processes were offered as these are the ultimate. It was Mahasi noting, it was Goenka style, uh, it was Zogchen Shinkansen, and another one, I can't quite remember what it was, but neither here nor there. But if Daniel Ingram's problematic... Kuladas is problematic, but no. Goenka should definitely be problematic because even the Goenka Foundation um, distanced themselves from Goenka himself because he had become a cult. But what is my point? Well, I suggested the Lamb Rim because the Lamb Rim itself is Tibetan, so I think it's perfect. It's a... Um, a fusion of the teachings from the Theravada, which is the basis of all of Buddhism. And I'm going to get to that. It's all in the Lamb Rim. You're going to see that the teaching is in there, just like it is in every other teaching, right? 10,000 10, different styles. Yeah, you personalize it. You know, you can translate it to your own language. You can use your own words. As I laughed, uh, Kadampa has the... Uh, the Lamb Rim, the translation up. And they say that they translated it themselves. But if you read it, you can tell it's a translation of the Dalai Lama's translator's version. And they just, they dumbed it down. I mean, 
<laughs> you could tell if you've been doing translation for a while. You can just see this. It, it, all they did was pick the words and use synonyms from the English because they're not synonyms from the Tibetan. <laughs> it really isn't. Because if you translate, you can't really translate one word in that sort of way in the Tibetan. You'd be looking at translating the entire sentence in a different... You know what I mean? It's pretty obvious. But why do I mention it? Because, well, then they start talking about psychedelics and lucid dreamings. And there's no group for um, practitioners to support each other. There's these Dharma friends that we keep talking about as fundamental... But it's nowhere. I mean, look at some of these social media platforms that are filled with these kids that just want to, I don't know what, scream into the void or, uh, I don't know, this virtual signal in a Buddhist sort of way. It's like, I know better than you or I, I, I know what you need more than... But to ignore something simple and universal and to try to cultify it uh, label it it's it's ridiculous and i'll give you an example so i'll actually make it a separate segment that'll make it a little bit easier so uh the three principal aspects coming up in a moment well as i said the three principal aspects of the path by ye Kapa. Um, a Tibetan teacher uh, considered like uh, even found some lost text, hid some text. So it goes, homage to the most venerable teachers. I shall explain here to the best of my ability the essential points of all the scriptures of the conqueror. The path acclaimed by all excellent bodhisattvas, the gateway for the fortunate ones, aspiring for liberation. So there you go. So he wants to explain, to the best of his ability, again, because it's personal, the essential points of all the scriptures of the conqueror, the Buddha. The path acclaimed by all excellent bodhisattvas, remember. This path is what we're striving for. Bodhisattvas being a word, bodhi, of uh, wisdom or great mind, sattva, of a great being or your um, your body, so this ultimate um, embodiment and the gateway for the fortunate ones aspiring for liberation. So this is important as well. It's the gateway for the fortunate ones aspiring for liberation. Fortunate ones are all sentient beings. We're fortunate enough to experience the truth and the teachings a gateway for one's aspiring for liberation. So it's a gateway simply to those even just aspiring to reduce their suffering or liberation. Right? It's just the act of renouncing, but we'll get to that. The second uh, stanza, I'll read the entire stanza and then talk about it. Those who are not attached to the joys of cyclic existence, who strive to make meaningful this life of leisure and opportunity, and who place their trust in the path that pleases the conquerors. O oh, fortunate ones, listen with an open heart. So here we talk about those who are not attached to the joys of cyclic 
existence. Cyclic existence is the life and death and birth and repeat. This wheel of Dharma, the wheel of becoming, wheel of existence, samsara itself. So when you want to be born because you want to live, that's why we're trapped on this cyclic existence over and over. It's round and round and round we go. Those who strive to make meaningful this life of leisure and opportunity. So those who take this opportunity. I've spoken about this before. You don't have to believe in reincarnation itself other than you have such an opportunity here, a rare opportunity. Take advantage of it. Right? Devote oneself with faith and commitment. And the next line is, if who place their trust in the path that pleases the conquerors. That's what I just said. It's the faith. When you have confidence in the prescription of reduction of suffering, of dissatisfaction, this Buddhist truth. And the last line, oh, fortunate ones, listen with an open heart, right? Don't allow yourself uh, to block these truths, these understandings with ignorance or um, aversion. The third stanza is, without pure renunciation, there is no means to pacify. The yearning for the joys and fruits of the samsaric ocean and for craving for an existence. They chain us thoroughly at first search for a true renunciation. Right? So, without pure renunciation, there is no means to pacify. What are we pacifying? What are we renouncing? Well, you're renouncing existence right you're you're the opposite could be said as well what you're you're um enshrining your devotion to the teachings to the truth that life is inherently dissatisfying why because of our selfish desires they can be overcome via this eightfold path of right view right thought all teaching the simple truth of Yourself is the cause of this clinging, attachment, ignorance, aversion. And by using doubt, faith, commitment, compassion, equanimity, all these terms and words we throw around, those are the means by which you can pacify these dissatisfying experiences. And it goes on and says, the yearning for the joys and fruits of the samsaric ocean. Remember, it's the yearning for the joys and the fruits, and it's the aversion to the pain and the suffering. That's what binds us to the samsaric ocean. And as for craving for existence, it changes thoroughly. But at first search for a true renunciation, Right? That's what it's getting at, right? It's a teaching that you have to understand. That awakening to the truth just uh, inherently uh, has you suffer a little more when you realize that you are, at, at best, the, the cause of your own suffering, <laughs> right? And the fourth stanza is by cultivating in mind that this Human life is so hard to find, yet has no time to spare. Preoccupations with this life will cease. 
by contemplating repeatedly the truth of karma and samsaric suffering preoccupations with the next life will cease will come to cease so this is pretty simple this one's just talking about um, by cultivating the mind that's that bodhi we talked about that this human life is hard to find again Right? The idea is we are so fortunate, we are the fortunate ones, to have the ability to understand um, our potential to be liberated from these delusions. Yet there's no time to spare. Preoccupations with this life will cease simply by committing oneself, that renunciation. By contemplating repeatedly the truth of karma and samsaric suffering. That's the teaching in a little microcosm. Karma is an idea of cause and effect, of dependent origination, even of emptiness, right? Because this idea of expectation of reward or expectation of outcome or even expectation of desire, as in I deserve this or they don't deserve that, them, us, that's all the root of this entire existence of suffering, and they call it samsaric suffering because existence itself is suffering. And finally, preoccupations with the next life will come to cease. So when you realize that your, your dissatisfaction with life is just the beginning, the real renunciation, at first search for a true renunciation, that's when you can not step off, but realize the path forward. And that itself is liberating, as I said in the first stanza. And five, as you habituate in this way, and when not even an instant of admiration arises from the prosperities of cyclic existence, and when the thought aspiring for liberation arises day and night at this point true renunciation has arisen I, mean, I just spoke of this one as you habituate in this way when not even an instant of admiration arises for the prosperities of cyclic existence again this is equanimity not just of self and others but of all things everything is an experience Right, as Rudyard Kipling said, to treat triumph and disaster as the impostors they are. But in Tibetan, it's spoken a little different, that dependent origination is never um, a liar. It's, it's, it's always truthful. It's us that don't see it for what it is. And so that thought of aspiring for liberation, at that point, true renunciation has arisen. So you haven't liberated, as I said earlier. It's simply aspiring for this liberation, to step off this uh, wheel of becoming, the cyclic existence, to reduce one's suffering by reducing this idea of self and others. That's true renunciation. When you're renouncing the self, renouncing your uh, self-imposed agenda, right? That's the gateway to liberation. And six, such renunciation too, if it is not sustained by a pure awakening mind, it will not become a cause of the perfect bliss of unexcelled enlightenment. 
Therefore, O oh, intelligent ones, generate the excellent awakening mind. This is this bodhi that we spoke about. This, um, this, uh, this bodhisattva mind. You must sustain it to achieve liberation. Seven. They are being swept away constantly by four powerful rivers. We've talked about this before, but let me just... Um, so the four uh, powerful rivers are ignorance, attachment, craving for rebirth and self, and wrong views, right? And that breaks down to wrong views, is you have to understand that everything is empty, everything is dependent origination. Dependent origi origination doesn't lie, but you don't experience it firsthand, so you don't see it, and arguably, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> oh, I apologize. I'm supposed to read the whole thing first and then go through it. So I'll start over. So seven. They are being swept away constantly by four powerful rivers. They are bound tightly with fetters of karma, most difficult to escape. They're trapped inside the iron mess, mesh of self-grasping. They're enveloped from everywhere by thick mists of ignorance. Right? So the four powerful rivers right, are fetters of karma. This is this uh, alaya vijnana, this storehouse of preferences, these latent impressions you've built up that in, uh, enshrine this self. They're trapped in this iron mesh of self-grasping. I mean, I just said this, this, you know, I'm me and my body and I want. They're enveloped from everywhere by thick mists of ignorance. This is the cause of this self and others. It's because there is no self in others. All you are is a part of one just defining oneself as different. We'll move on to eight. They take birth within cyclic existence that has no end, and they're endlessly tormented by the three sufferings. By reflecting on all your mothers who suffer such conditions, please generate the supreme awakening mind. This is really quite interesting. I recommend um, Venerable Thubden Children's. Uh, she has, puts a, she's got a great talk of the three types of suffering. She talks about the lamb rim as well. But, uh, the three types of suffering breaks down to the suffering of suffering, the suffering of change, and the all-pervasive suffering of conditioning. So I'm going to destroy it in trying to simplify it here, but the suffering of suffering is the suffering of, you know, existence, of, uh, you know, uh, of, of somatic experience. And I'm oversimplifying, I apologize. Suffering of change is simply impermanence. Our idea that we want this and we want this to stay as I've said, um, we, we tend to enjoy the pleasure uh, and then uh, we mourn the end of the pleasure, but we don't celebrate the end of uh, discomfort. And finally, the all-pervasive suffering of conditioning. Right? The suffering of being conditioned is not apparent when it arises, remains, or ceases, but is still the cause of suffering. So this one's a little tough. Um, but it's the suffering of being within this cyclic existence, to oversimplify it. So being trapped in samsara, as I said, you just have to 
step onto the path to achieve benefit. Um, but until you've achieved complete liberation, it's still suffering, right? Samsaric existence itself is suffering. Being in this body or attaching to this self is itself suffering. That's this inherent, innate suffering that we will all experience until we've achieved another state. And we've talked about this, uh, Sema, um, but we won't even go into these new terms, but if you've uh, ceased your grasping and your ignorance and, you know, you're no longer um, attaching to the fetters of samsara, you can achieve a certain level of liberation without even getting to nirvana. Um, oh, and uh, it goes a little, so actually within eight, it gives you all of them as well, just a little bit uh, hidden within. So take birth within cyclic existence that has no end. So you continue to be born and die. You don't understand that stepping off the wheel, that's why it has no end, because you'll die and be born again. And um, They're endlessly tormented by the three sufferings. We've talked about this, right? So um, you can end uh, the suffering of suffering by reducing or even eliminating the self and the desire and this idea, this attachment. Um, you can reduce the suffering of change when you accept um, impermanence as a truth, emptiness of all things and dependent origination. Uh, so that can cease. But again, as I said, the pervasive uh, suffering will never end uh, because until you right, <laughs> have stepped off this uh, wheel of becoming. Right? So please generate the supreme awakening mind. Again, this is this idea of this truth to all this stuff I said, and it drops this reflecting on your mothers who suffer. It's an idea of equanimity and compassion and, and um, uh, well, the Brahma Viharas. We've talked about this, these divine abodes of um, uh, equanimous uh, joy, loving kindness, uh, equanimity and compassion. This idea that we're all one and uh, it's healing to give oneself these uh, benefits and others. So we'll go on. Number nine, if you do not have the wisdom realizing the ultimate nature, even if you gain familiarity with renunciation and awakening mind, you will not be able to cut the root of samsaric existence. So strive in the means of realizing dependent origination. This one's pretty simple. If, uh, if you don't have the wisdom. So this is not saying that you don't have the intelligence. This is if you haven't come to understand that all things are dependently originated. Nothing is uh, made uh, up of one thing. Everything is uh, pieces, aspects that are in constant flux and change, right? Um, if you don't understand that this dependent origination, that ca cause and effect, the idea of karma is causing <laughs> and influencing everything in your life. If you don't develop this understanding, wisdom, right? you're ignorant to this truth. So it's not in an English way, wisdom, um, smart, ignorance, dumb. It's um, with or without this understanding or even this teaching right obviously i'm uh very comfortable as a self-taught um in a lot of areas but a lot of people uh, benefit from a teacher something like this 
<laughs> Very much so. That's nine. Ten. When, with respect to all phenomena of samsara and nirvana, you see the cause and effects never deceive their laws, and when you have dismantled the focus of objectification, at that point you have entered the path that pleases the Buddhas. So with respect to all phenomena of samsara and nirvana, so everything, as I said, is dharma. Everything is an experience. Everything is dependently originated and empty. So everything, be it samsara and nirvana, are one. You see that cause and effect never deceives their laws. I've talked about this before. That dependent origination never lies. It's us and our perception that have the misrepresentation within. And when you've dismantled the focus of objectification, labeling this, that, good, bad, this idea, right, of I see this, but no, it's the I. The eye is focusing, right? That's a double entendre. When you start to see me versus them, then your perspective is wrong, as well as understanding that the eye is what experiences the image, not the mind. When you understand this, you haven't achieved liberation. That simple understanding, let's call it wisdom, is the point at which you enter the path. The path that pleases the Buddha, that's the path of renunciation. Next, 11. So, so long as the two understandings of appearance, which is undeceiving dependent origination, and emptiness devoid of all of these, so long as these two understandings remain separate, so long you have not realized the intent of the sage. See, I've been saying this so long. They cannot teach dependent origination separate from emptiness. Because emptiness is dependent origination, and dependent origination is emptiness. What's empty? All appearance, all labels, all volition. Everything is empty because of dependent origination. Right? Impermanence perspective that's it's as simple as that right appearance is a label it's dependently originated it's empty of all of the labels and the qualities that we might attach to it that's simply that understanding that's it when you've realized the nature of dependent origination and emptiness and how they are two aspects you've realized the intent of the sage of the teacher so 12 However, at some point, without alternation, but at once, the instant you see that dependent origination is undeceiving, if the entire object of, great, of grasping at certitude is dismantled, at that point your analysis of the view has culminated. It's a lot of words in this one, but however, at some point, without alternation, but at once. So this is not like... When it comes, I've talked about the jhanas earlier, right? This is a temporary state. So this is what he's talking about. You can experience this um, uh, a state of um, no body, right? Or you can experience a state of a cessation of thought, 
right? These can be temporary states, these jhana, these form realms, there's even formless realms, and but these temporary states. But dependent origination is not one of these. That moment that you understand that everything is dependent origin dependently originated or codependently originated, meaning, you know, that grass uh is you know, the colors and lights, but more importantly, the water and everything that fed it to grow. Uh, but more personal, this idea of taking offense to someone, uh, to something, um, again, it's not just your perception, but again, you can just choose not to uh, mind either way. Instantly seeing dependent origination is it's the one step. That's all there is to that one. Um, you can be taught, as I've said before, there's these three states of ignorance, uh, the dependent stage, and then the perfection stage. We, as uh, path followers, are in the dependent stage, but it itself can be divided into knowing the teaching and even being certain of the truth of dependent origination. You can even be uh, certain that it is undeceiving. But until it is experienced, you're simply aspiring to the truth. But once it is experienced, there's no turning back. You have experienced the truth of dependent origination. Right? That's why it says uh, the entire object of grasping its certitude is dismantled. Right? It's a double here. So the entire object of grasping is dismantled right? itself, but certitude, we've talked about this, this idea of the cetuskoti, or the uh, Greek tetralemma, that it's not this, it's not that, it is this, it is that, it's neither, and it's both, all at the same time, because we can experience this um, uh, firsthand because everything is dependently originated, at that point, your analysis of the view has culminated. Like I said, that's all it takes is for you to see this truth. And it's, it's, uh, it's fundamental. But go on to 13. Furthermore, when appearance dispels the extreme of existence, when emptiness dispels the extreme of non-existence. And if you understand how emptiness arises as cause and effect, you will never be captivated by views grasping at extremes. This is one of my favorites. So, appearance dispels the extreme of existence, right? So, again, appearance is used because it's not a thing. It's the appearance of that thing because of dependent origination. So understanding the truth that everything is just an appearance, it's not a thing, right? It's moving from one thing to another. So it's never a thing at once. It's always changing. It dispels the extreme of existence because everything is constantly moving from existence to non-existence and back. And when emptiness dispels the extreme of non-existence, again, we talked about this in the previous stanza, that emptiness 
doesn't say that nothing exists. It says that nothing is as we perceive it. Therefore, we must have this great doubt to achieve the great liberation. The next line is, if you understand how emptiness arises as cause and effect, we've talked about this, emptiness is dependent origination, dependent origination is emptiness, karma is cause and effect, cause and effect is, right? You'll never be captivated by views, grasping, and extremes. Love, hate, hot, cold, love, hate, I've said that already. <laughs> the eight worldly winds as well as any um, extremes, this Madhya Maka, the middle way. And the final stanza of this great work is, Thus, when you have understood as they the essentials of the three principal aspects of the path, O son, seek solitude, and by enhancing the power of perseverance, swiftly accomplish your ultimate aspiration. I like that. I really do. Um... So it's old son seek solitude by enhancing the power of perseverance. This idea of, um, it doesn't have to be about monastic, it depends on who you speak to here. This idea of um, not um, indulging, as I said, in the, uh, um, what was earlier on, how, how did it call it? The joys and fruits of the samsaric ocean. So this idea of renouncing uh, to work on your devotion, perseverance, your faith, your shraddha, uh, to swiftly accomplish your ultimate aspiration. So again, you, you know, take heed and hurry up. And the first two lines I love is that when you understood as they are, the essentials of the three principal aspects of the path, there's your teachings. The three principal aspects of the path is renunciation that's been listed in there. This determination to be free of cyclic uh, existence of birth and death and rebirth. Uh, but it's also renouncing this, this idea of self versus others. This idea of, I desire this, I deserve this. The idea that anything is permanent or anything is as we define it or... Uh, even not believing in uh, cause and effect of karma, right? Renounce ignorance for wisdom. And the second is bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is simply great mind, wisdom-minded, right? It's a term uh, used to embody the nature of uh, liberating all sentient beings. But again, don't forget, this is also talking about uh, the Brahma Viharas of compassion, uh, equina equanimous joy. Now you understand why I say equanimous joy, because uh, equanimous joy is the idea we're looking at, is you have as much joy for others as you do for oneself. Loving kindness for self and others, again, Self, in this case, self and others are the same, but until you have uh, achieved liberation, you're still working within this self. Um, and, and as I said, equanimity. Absolutely, the bodhicitta 
is I'm not going to achieve liberation until all sentient beings achieve liberation. If that's not uh, equanimity, uh, self and others, I don't know what is. And the final aspect, principal aspect of the path, is the realization of emptiness. But it's not as simple as that. It's what I've said before. That this wish for life, this bond to cyclic existence, the dependent origination uh, and emptiness, but uh, appearance and labels, uh, right? All phenomena of samsara, ignorance, certitude even, are all these same aspects of understanding emptiness, that great doubt that you must have um, is within each and every one of these teachings. You will see it yourself, even within the three sufferings. The suffering of suffering is uh, the self. The suffering of change is impermanence. And the all-pervasive suffering of conditioning is dukkha. So we have dukkha, anicca, and anatta. We have the three marks of existence in the three types of suffering. We have the three truths in the three principal aspects of the path. Because the same can be said. Renunciation is to renounce the self versus others and to reduce uh, dissatisfaction. Bodhicitta is to renounce self, right? and to treat everyone as equal. And realizing emptiness is the same. Suffering, dukkha, is born of this self. This improper attaching. All of it is the same teaching. You can see it within any teaching that you use. So let's play a game. Why don't you look at whatever you're using and see within it the nature of liberation.